The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Barack Obama. Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton. All these names evoke passion, very serious responses from all of us. They really show how quickly we are divided over these issues. Our country is in a season of unbelievable passion and intense scrutiny, every word being analyzed. Uh, It'll divide a Mother's Day lunch. You gather together today, you bring up the candidates, and it will instantly decide where you're sitting at the table. We live in a time that is not hard to see the relevance of this text that we come to. All texts are relevant, relevant. All the scriptures are relevant. But sometimes they're just easier to see how relevant they are. Some people think that our current president is the best president ever, while others think he's the worst president ever. Some people think that if Hillary Clinton is elected, it's the end of the world as we know it. As many people think that if Donald Trump is elected, it is the end of the world as we know it. We are passionate about our politics. It is divisive, and it will reveal very quickly what's in the heart of a person. In our text today, we see that God has something to say about how we think and how we act as it relates to politics. Listen, I know they're weighty matters. They are serious matters. The next president will appoint, nominate a Supreme Court justice, which will affect the law of the land, possibly several. So by no means do I think for a second that these aren't important matters that we should be passionate about. But the way that we are passionate, the way that we behave as believers in our passion, God has some clear instructions for us in this text today. I think this is probably the biggest blind spot of Christians today. We know better than most other sins. Not that we get it right all the time, but we know better. But to me, I think too many Christians are sinning and justifying their hatred and their venomous spouting of evil against one another and treating people in ungodly ways and just think it is absolutely okay in the realm of politics for some reason. And Paul has some clear instructions for us today about the emails that we send, about what we say about others on the other side of the aisle, about how we talk about people who serve us in the government. Paul has some hard words. As we said last week, it ain't the stuff I don't understand that's hard. It's the stuff I do. And here we see this is not hard to understand. It's just unbelievably hard to apply. 
Paul has been speaking in Romans 1 through 12, the first 12 chapters of Romans, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is, you are only made right with God as a sinner through faith in Jesus Christ. And upon faith in Christ, we are filled with God. God invades our soul. God takes residence in us. And Paul says in chapters 12 and following, this will make us different than the world. We will not view anything the same. Our politics and the way we view politics will look different than the rest of the world. He says when God moves in, everything changes. Your values change. Your priorities change. Your stewarding of your possessions change. Your words change. And he's been saying the last couple of weeks that The first place he's applied this is that as the community of faith, you become a humble, holy people who see your your own sin before you point out others' sin. Who says, I am like trying to be like Christ who died, who gave himself for my good. I now lay my life down for the good of others. The community of faith should be the most humble place on the planet. Where we serve one another, we give ourselves away. And that is a testimony to the glory of God that spills outside the church and draws people to want to know this kind of God. And now he says it even applies with your politics. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. I would imagine that none of us would stand here today without admitting this is very difficult waters to apply. Lord, I pray that your grace, as recipients of the grace of God through the Spirit of God by faith in Christ, that your grace would produce in us transformation. That you would change us from the inside out, that our hearts would be changed by the Word of God as the Spirit takes the Word and opens up our heart to receive it by faith. Make us different than the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So how are we as recipients of grace, as church, as Christians, how are we to treat our government? Paul tells us the command in verse 1, the first part of verse 1, Very simple, very clear, very broad, very straightforward, no caveats. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Here, Paul, inspired by God, says every single person is to be in subjection to the government authorities. Without exception. Christians, we are called to live in subjection to our governing authorities. You are called to live in subjection to your president, Barack Obama. You are called to live in subjection to president-elect Donald Trump. You and I are called to live in subjection to President-elect Hillary Clinton or whoever it may be. 
It ain't the stuff I don't understand that bothers me. It's the stuff I do. This command is simple. It's straightforward. Notice it's not a command. It doesn't say governments bring the people under subjection. It says Christians and citizens, but especially Christians, bring yourselves under subjection. The idea is a voluntarily bringing of oneself to the under subjection of the authority of the government. Notice it's not a command to obey the government. It implies obedience, but it's not a blanket command to obey the government. It is a command without exception that Christians especially should be leading the way of humility and embracing the leadership and authority of the government. We should be known as a people who champion the causes of the government. We should not be known as a people who hate every politician we agree with that spews venom out there at the biggest, loudest megaphone platform we can find. We should be a humble people embracing the authority of the government. Is that how the community of faith is known in our country today. The command is to submit. Submission does imply obedience. This means we are to maintain a general posture of embracing the leadership and authority of the government. The scriptures are filled with Examples of areas that God calls Christians to submit to authority. Each one of those is described throughout the passages. Children are to submit to the authority of their parents. Church members are to submit to the authority of their leaders, their pastors or elders. All of them, wives are to submit to the godly leadership of husbands. All are image equal, image bearers, all equally value, not lesser, not greater, but defined roles that God has ordained positions of authority to, uh, to enact an orderly relationship among families, among marriages, among churches, among communities, among states, among countries, among the world. God has said, this is how it works. I've put positions of authority in place and you as a Christian live this way and I will establish a society that is peaceful and just and one where you can flourish. In Israel, in the Old Testament, we see this radically random group of people just chaotically coming out of Egypt and they received the will of God and the commands and the regulations which provided civil order, it provided ceremonial laws, it provided moral laws. And as they, the way it's written in the scriptures, the people come out as one into the promised land. God's laws preventing wrathful vengeance upon accidental death, that any type of, of civil, uh, uh, civil punishment must have witnesses. I mean, it's where we get our laws from. God has a plan for a blessed, orderly society. When Throughout the history, you read the Old Testament, as the judges were leading God's people, their role, as well as the kings, their role was to know that they were not the ultimate authority. God was the ultimate authority. And as they promoted God's will among the people, the people flourished, and they enjoyed the blessings of God, a society, 
society the way God designed it to operate. But when they turned from God and they led the people to disobey God, we see the cycle where they would be in despair and they would be punished, that God would bring kings over them that would punish them. And so God is working in and behind the scenes of human history, bringing about order into a society through his established means of authority. And he says, you and I are commanded to voluntarily embrace the authority of government over us. At this point, I would guess every one of us is saying, yeah, but. Yeah, but. And I understand this is hard. So does this mean we are to submit to the governing authorities no matter what? No. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven has been given to me. And so all authority that he allows and ordains of human authority, we are to submit and embrace their leadership so long as it does not require us to disobey God. But every other realm, yes, Embrace their leadership and authority so long as it does not require you to disobey God. In the household, in the church, in government, no one is expected to obey to the point if it means disobeying God. But even when we have to resist ungodly leadership, even at that point, we can do it in such a way that it is respectful, it is humble, it is God-glorifying, it demonstrates a desire to embrace godly, Godward leadership. It is not sinful and hateful and venomous. There's a great example of this in the Wall Street Journal this week. Uh, There was an opinion piece by Lorraine McGuire from the Little Sisters of the Poor. Assuming all the facts in the article are right, the nuns are being forced by government to provide health care, which covers contraceptive and other services the religious organization deems sinful. And she says, quote, Thus, the choice we were given was a stark one. Either help the government use our health plan to provide contraceptives in a way that we would be that we believe would be sinful or pay millions of dollars a year in fines, end quote. But what I want you to see from this article is the tone of their resistance to the leadership. It is not spiteful, it is not revengeful, it is not hateful, it is not sinful. The nuns say they wanted to offer to work with the government, figure out a way that everyone can have their goals met without us having to do, without them having to do something they deemed sinful. But when the government was unwilling to work with them, the nuns said they regrettably agreed to take the case to Supreme Court. Ms. McGuire says, The most difficult yes for me in this process was the one I said initially when we decided, with the help of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, to ask the courts to intervene on our behalf. Our religious order 
the little sisters of the poor, is over 175 years old. And until recently, we've lived our lives outside the spotlight. We don't usually take political stands or attract much attention, but we felt we had no choice and believed that if we pursued this case in the right spirit, that it could make a difference. We said yes to the Supreme Court this week because we believe it is possible to find solutions that work for all sides. Our government has many ways to achieve its goals. We only ask and pray that it will do so without entangling us so that we can carry on our mission of caring for the elderly poor and remaining faithful to God. This is a great example of standing for what's God's will, not obeying something that is sinful, but doing it in obedience to Paul's command to submit yourselves to the governing authorities in the context of love. The first passage before this is love one another. Next week, love one another. Right in the middle, submit to your governing authorities. This is an expression of the love of Christ poured into our lives. The way that we embrace the governing authorities that many of us, if we're honest, hate. The very last verse before this text refers loving your enemies. And he says, speaking of enemies, submit to your governing authorities. Is this your attitude towards our government? Is this the testimony of the church? When we are interviewed on national television... Do the people hear this tone from believers? Do they say, man, those Christians are different. I imagine some of you still thinking, yeah, but. I don't know that Paul could ever imagined what we would be facing. little historical context is helpful here. Paul wrote this letter when Nero was emperor. Before Nero, Claudius was the Roman emperor from A.D. 41 through 54. Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome in A.D. 49, which include many of the Jewish followers of Christ who were the pillars of this church in Rome, the first church in Rome. They had been expelled And that explains some of the unique mixture that's going on in Romans that they had been expelled. Gentiles became leaders. They were brought back after Claudius died. And then Nero became the emperor of Rome. Now Nero himself is credited for setting fire to the city of Rome. Burned virtually the whole city down. Why? To expand his palace compound. And what did he do? He blamed the Christians. And he created a context of hatred and anger towards the Christians. They were blamed for burning down the city of Rome. When he himself did it, equivalent to President Nero in the White House, if you will, burned down the the country and blamed the Christians... And if that wasn't enough, Nero is said to have captured Christians, dipped them in oil, set them aflame so they would be human burning torches at the parties at the White House. 
And then he says, Paul says, in that context, to the Christians, every one of you must submit yourselves to governing authorities. We can't hide. Paul didn't know what we're facing. Paul means it. God inspired it. We as Christians who claim to have been transformed by the grace of God must obey, must love, must humble ourselves and embrace the governing authorities leadership. When God enters a life, when grace transforms a heart, the impossible becomes possible. We as a church must say, yes, Lord, make this true of my heart. We as Christians must say, yes, Lord, give me the grace I need. Repent of the sin. Confess it to the Lord. Lord, I admit it. I have been sinning. I have been taking pride. I have been taking joy and pleasure in hating the enemy in the political realm. And I need your help to not do it anymore. We can no longer feel justified in spewing venomous sin against people of the other political camp. Can no longer feel pleasure in forwarding those emails that sinfully mock others. There is nothing of Christ in it. And we should repent of it. And we should be models of bringing glory to God in a context that is challenging. This is one of the places we can say it gets real for us. God is commanding us through Paul's writings to have a posture of embracing leadership and authority of the government. Now, if you think about Daniel, Daniel was in the lion's den. Why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? It's because he refused to bow down to the king as God. Even though it meant him being thrown into a pit of lions, knowing he'd be devoured, surely, if God didn't save him. But what did he say about that king? He said, God put that king in that place. So even in his civil disobedience... He was embracing as much as he could and respecting that office. In the scriptures, we know in Acts 5.29, the Jewish leaders were told, told Peter and John, stop preaching the gospel. And they said in response, we must obey God rather than men. In the book of Revelation, believers are honored for obeying God in the face of government pressure to disobey God. So no, we don't obey any authority that tells us to disobey God, but every ounce of our being should be a posture of embracing the authority of the government as much as we possibly can. That's how we should be known. And that will only happen by the grace of God working and transforming our hearts. 
Why does Paul command this? How can Paul ask us to submit to governing authorities? Isn't this wrong? I mean, how can he expect this of us? He gives us two reasons. The first is the conscience. The second is the consequence. I get those words from verse 6. But the first, the conscience. He says, the reason you submit to governing authorities is the conscience. Look at verse second part of verse 1 and 2. He says, for there is no authority except from God. And those which are established by God. Your president is established by God. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. The first point is the reason we submit is a matter of conscience. Understanding the scriptural worldview. Having our minds transformed by God, he says in Romans 12, your mind is transformed by the Spirit of God to know there is a sovereign God who is working behind the scenes in all of human history. It says that He holds the king's hearts in His hands. It says He established the kings of all the ages. I can't explain how it works. But our actions are real. Our votes matter. We should be citizens who promote God's will, who try to become civil servants who represent God's will, who promote the the candidacy of those who seem to honor God's will. We should do all we can to get the right people in place and to be passionate. But we should know at the end of the day, on election night, when we see the results, we can say two things, and they both are true. That person got voted in office. God put that person in office. There's a sovereignty umbrella and net around all of it that we can't fully explain. It doesn't eliminate our free will and our responsibility, but there is a responsibility that we see. We do not have the right to sin against others because our person is not in office. Scripture says God put that authority there. Douglas Moo says it this way, from a human perspective, rulers come to power through force or heredity or popular choice. But the transformed mind recognizes Behind every such process, the hand of God. Our government is far from perfect, but at the end of the day, when the election is over, when we've done everything we can and must do to try to elect the right officials with godly values, ultimately, God expects us to submit to the authorities that he puts in place through our vote. So it's a matter of conscience because to disobey the authority God in place put in place is sin. It's to disobey God. If they're not telling you to sin against God, then you are called to obey them and we'll see honor them and respect them. The second reason is consequence. Verses 3 through 5, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. The government is a minister of God for you for good. 
But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. The second reason Paul gives Christian citizens to voluntarily maintain a posture of submission and embracing the authority of the government is the consequence. Very practical consequence, both positive and negative. First of all, the positive consequence, he says, government is a gift from God. Thank God for your government. How many of us thank God for our government? Do we realize what chaos happens when there is no government? Do we realize how wonderful our government is compared to places that don't have any type of democracy at all? And God says even the worst dictatorship is better than anarchy. Think of the worst things a government has done, whether it's the Holocaust. Think of the worst that you can imagine. And it would be multiplied worse if there were no government. Yeah, Governments are messed up because we live in a fallen world filled with sinful people. But any form of government is a gift from God for which we should be thankful. God establishes peace, measures of peace, measures of justice that allow us to flourish and work and serve and worship in ways that we would never be able to do if God didn't give us the great gift of government authorities over our lives. So they are ministers of God for good. Paul, I can see him writing to the Romans, many who probably want to revolt, wanting to take out the the government. And he's saying, why submit? It's a matter of conscience. But let's just get practical. You rise up against this government, and they're going to kill you. And they have a right to do so. Unless you're being asked to oppose God's will. What he says here is that government is an extension of the arm of the wrathful arm of God to establish justice. It is right for governments to punish lawbreakers because God has established their authority to establish laws. And if the citizens disobey the law, they have the right... It should be proper punishment. It should be just punishment. It should be based on witnesses like the the scripture says. But it is right for government to punish rebellious citizens. And so he says, for matters of conscience, God put them in place. They're there for your good. Embrace their leadership. Follow them. And God will take care of the rest. Remember the last verses in chapter Uh, 12, where he says, vengeance is mine. Leave vengeance to the Lord. He will establish justice one day. Every day that you and I as Christians submit to the leadership and authority of the government, we are bringing down a piece of heaven. We're demonstrating what what Christ's kingdom is going to look like when he comes back and he establishes perfect justice, perfect reign, perfect rule over society, it will finally be the way God designed it to be. And right now, we are to be model citizens living under their authority. And I'm afraid that too many of us have just got this massive blind spot. I don't have to submit if I don't like 
that politician. So for conscience and for consequences. The practical reality of fearing the wrath of God or the wrath of punishment is a motivator, but more basic motivation should be Christian conscience. To disobey them is to disobey God. So what does this mean for us? Paul gets very practical in the last two verses of the application. Verse 6 and 7, we see the application. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Ouch. As if he didn't go far enough already. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. And that word servants, there's a couple of Greek words for servants. One is doulos, that just means general servants. This one refers the same word he chose, the same word intentionally, a different word. The same word used to describe priests who served in the tabernacle. They're servants of God. The IRS agents are servants of God. Do I need to say how hard this is? Devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom is due. Custom to whom custom fear. To whom fear honor. To whom honor. This means that Christian citizens must be exemplary citizens who voluntarily pay our direct taxes, our indirect taxes. And we respect and we honor our government officials. We humbly demonstrate a Christ-like character and attitude toward our government officials at all levels. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Romans 12, 1 started all this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is our chance to be different. And that's when it's hardest. It's so tempting. It feels so good to act like the world is acting against the other side. But through the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, do not think more highly of himself. Do we honor and respect those who serve? I mean, I think we do a pretty good job of honoring civil servants that protect us like the police, or at least most of us try to honor the police and the firemen and the medical personnel. But when it gets political, we give ourselves a pass. I don't have to honor those idiots. You've said it. I know it. I've said it. And it's wrong. It's sin. And it's a massive blind spot in the church. Do we do as little as we can to support our government if we don't agree with them? That's sin. 
Do we try to evade taxes? That's sin. Do we view politicians from the other side as our enemy? That is sinful. We don't deny the reality of government in a fallen world, but we must not excuse sinful behavior or we would never be accountable to God's word. We are to pay our taxes with honesty in a timely manner. We are to honor and respect our civil servants of all political preferences. We must pray for our government. This is how we cannot be conformed to the world, but transformed into the image of Christ. I want to close with a corporate prayer with two. I'm going to ask David Ham and Bob Nida to come up now, if y'all will come. David Ham is going to offer a prayer. All of us stand and say, this is your prayer as David Ham prays for godly leaders. And Bob Ham is going to leave us, lead us in a prayer for us as Christian citizens to embrace the godly leadership or all leadership as far as we can by God's grace. Father, um, we need your help. I thank you for this message and this passage that so clearly reveals a blind spot for many of us. Lord, have grace and mercy with us. Lord, we confess corporately our sin. Lord, we do pray for the governments, uh, governmental authorities that you have placed over us on a city level, on a parish level, on a state level, on a national level, on an international level. Lord, all branches of our government, uh, the judicial, the executive, and the legislative branches, Lord, we are focusing on the executive a lot right now with the race. And Lord, we do pray particularly um, for the Republican Convention, the Democratic Convention, and our response and interaction with that process. Oh, Lord, would you give us wisdom? Would you give our leaders wisdom? Would you give the parties wisdom and grace and mercy? Lord, would you be with them? Would you draw them to yourself by your saving grace? Would you give them wisdom in governing by your common grace? Uh, for your glory, for their good, and for the good of your creation. Lord, we do look forward to the hope of the perfect government that you will establish on the new heaven and new earth. Lord, we long for that day. We hope uh, for the fulfillment of your promise that we will enjoy for all of eternity. But until then, Lord, would we um, have a posture of submission. And Lord, to those to whom we're called to submit, Lord, be gracious to them. Bless them for your good, for their good, for your glory. Father, it is our prayer that we will act upon the words that have been spoken to us this morning by the one that you have placed as the shepherd of this flock that we will truly be model citizens, that we will be people that, that support those people who have been put in positions of leadership, 
that we will obey the laws, that we will pay the taxes, that we will render unto those people the things that you have told us in your word that is due unto them. And you've also told us that we are to pray for kings and people who are in authority over us that we might live in peace and godliness. And so, Father, specifically I pray for the President of the United States, for Barack Obama, for the members of the national legislature, for the senators, for the members of the House of Representatives, for the nine for the eight members of the United States Supreme Court. I pray for the governor of this state, for uh, Governor Edwards, for the members of the state Senate and the House of Representatives who are right now wrestling with very difficult issues. I join in, in David's prayer that you will guide the things that they do. I pray for the leaders of our parish and our city that we might live in peace. And I pray that we would be people who are the, the model for other people to look at, to see how godly people respond to the government that you have placed over us because you've told us to do these things. And we do look for that day when the one... Who, who, on whose shoulders the government will rest, the one who will bring eternal peace comes, and we do pray these things in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.